and welcome to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Every week we watch a movie and sit down here to talk about it. I'm Katie. I'm Mel. And we're your hosts. This week we watched It, directed by Andy Muschietti and released in 2017. The plot of the movie goes something like this. A group of bullied kids band together when a monstrous clown begins hunting children. Yes. And uh, first up we'll do a little spoiler-free section on It. Um, This is based on the Stephen King novel and also uh, the well-known 1990s miniseries adaptation of the uh, story It. It's pretty classic horror. Mm, Yeah. Uh, It's it's really influential. So I think a lot of the things that you've seen since the sort of 80s when it was published are influenced by it. Mm. Um, Um, Well, I I I don't think people were scared of clowns before this book came out. I think it was around, but uh, it's definitely, you know, had a big effect on that. A thing now. Yeah. Um, Because I remember, I know that in the 80s there was this thing about, like, groups of clowns driving around and kidnapping children or something like that. Um, And I don't know whether it was to do with it or whether it was before it and inspired it or Mm. what. But, yeah, uh, if you are a horror film, I mean a horror film fan, I don't think you can miss this one. It's way too zeitgeisty and way too kind of big at the moment. I mean, really, if you're like a movie fan, I think this is one that you should go see. Yeah, and if I can get through it, you can get through it. (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, it's. I mean, if you don't like your movies, horror movies, um, like if you prefer them more atmospheric than violent, it may not be the one for you. Yeah, it is quite because it really goes after that. As the non-horror person here and the person who normally avoids these, this is one of the first horror movies where I've sat through and watched it. And it really feels to me, I really felt what they teach you in film school about horror, which is that it's about facing your fears and having a a cathartic experience in in the safety of a cinema. I really felt that about this one uh, because it's really classic sorts of fears and each of the kids has to face their own fear, which is slightly different and around death of a sibling or being abused. And obviously they're all middle school age, so it's all around puberty and um, adolescence and all those kinds of fears. And I really like properly felt that through the movie in terms of mm. watching them first come up against it and wanting them to run away to where they get to a point where they're able to walk into the belly of the beast and take on their fears head on. Um, in that sense, I really um, I thought it was really good. I had some problems with mm-hmm. some of the sexism in it, which is really blatant blatant. and bad and almost like, I mean, as soon as I saw some, some of the names involved in the credits, I went, uh-oh. Because they're not it's a, they're not exactly a group of men, and it is almost entirely men, uh, known for having any kind of nuanced view around that. I really wish, and probably this is, uh, this is not really getting into spoilers, but it probably is more for the body of the podcast. But I really wish that like people would take five seconds to think about what puberty looks like from the perspective of the girl instead mm-hmm. of objectifying the girl and making it all about what boys feel about her. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, I, there are definitely problems with those, in those areas. Um, and I was, but as I a horror should, film, fantastic. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't, I mean, like I said, as a, if you're a horror fan, I don't think you can miss it, but just definitely look at it with a critical eye. If you do, if you know it already and are not too worried about spoilers, I'd stick around for our co- discussion about it because I have seen the 90s miniseries and read the book and Melissa has done neither. No. Um, so it should be an interesting discussion. <laughs> Yes. Um, if, if you are avoiding spoilers, watch it, come back, obviously, and we'll start um, talking about spoilers now. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, I have no experience with this because I have a long history of being very scared of horror movies because I'm already anxious enough in my life and I feel like I don't need any more anxiety. Although, as I said, as I said in the spoiler-free section, in this one, I actually felt like 
for me, an anxious person, this was a really good cathartic experience of mm. getting scared of something, realizing that you have to face it and coming together with your friends to do that. Um, as a movie, it works really well. The The scares are genuinely scary. There's gore, there's headless characters. There's and like it builds up pretty well. You know, and, they give yeah. you good, some good build up towards those things. You know when it's going to be scary so you can cover your ears, which I've learned from Katie to do when you're watching a scary movie. <laughs> I do that. Um, um, it, it's good though well, because it kind of the music doesn't affect you so much. Yes. Um, it's less the music for me. It's like the jump scares really get me mm. um, with the sound on. Um, especially this movie goes hard with the sound editing. Oh boy. Um, so like jump scare, I have a more of a problem with like the, yeah, the sudden screech of music and jump scares, mm. um, than like the visuals and stuff. I quite oh, enjoy yeah. a lot of the visuals. I like it when they're really kind of weird and creepy and dark. And they've gone in on the, that in this film. Yes. The production value is exceedingly high. Um, the makeup and the, um, the set design and the, um, excuse cinematography. And the cinema, yeah, it's all beautifully arranged. Like, yeah. I mean, to the point of cliche, sometimes like the old house where <laughs> Pennywise lives, I mean, you just, yeah, of course it's the scariest old abandoned old house. You've even got like gnarled trees in the yard. It's amazing and it looks amazing and the inside is even better. Yeah, but, it's um, uh, properly like, it reminded mm, me of um, Monster House, that yeah, movie. proper, proper um, haunted house stuff. Yeah, the, I mean the whole thing, it's not subtle. There's nothing about this movie that's subtle. <laughs> no. But I think because of what it represents, that kind of makes sense for it. Yeah, um, I, I am actually, I'm okay with that. It's, um, I think I said to you as we we're coming out, feels like a traditional horror movie. Um, Chung Hoon Chung, who is the director of photography. Oh, yes. Um, yep. He um, did a really, really, really good job. Yes. Um, he's the cinematographer for um, Stoker, which is a movie Oh, which is really one liked. of our favourites. Um, yep. Does a lot of cinematography before – is it Boon Joon Ho? Let me look. Chan Wook um, Park. Bong Joon Ho. Oh. Chan Wook Park. Chan oh, up. yes. Yeah, yeah. Park Chan Wook. Yeah. Park Chan Wook, who, who um, did a couple of movies that we liked. Mm. Um, he's a cinematographer for him. Oh, um, yeah. And the cinematography is amazing. Yep. And, oh, I, I mean, the production design as well, though. Yeah. Like, whoever did Pennywise, that was – I mean, Bill Skarsgård, this is – we've talked about him a few times recently because we've seen him in a few things, and he we always talk about how he's kind of creepy. Yeah. And this is just – it's like peak Bill Skarsgård role. It's a really – he's really good in it. And, I mean, he's got a follow-on, in a sense, from Tim Curry in the miniseries. So, I mean, that's a big shoes to fill. Um, yeah. But he, I think he's really, and obviously I've never seen that and all that. He kind of, um, it seems to me like he definitely has some kind of nods towards Tim Curry's mm. Pennywise in a similar kind of way to like, say, Chris Pine playing Captain Kirk mm. with little homages to Shatner, but not doing a Shatner impression. Yeah. Um, I think Bill Skarsgård kind of did that with Tim Curry's Pennywise. Mm. Like some of the voice things and stuff are quite similar, but he kind of takes it to a further extreme. And yeah, so it, it's interesting, but um, he does a great job. Yes. He's so scary. <laughs> he really is. He's just naturally creepy. Yeah. Um, and, and it works uh, works quite well. And, I mean, obviously this movie lives or dies by the kids and I thought they were pretty good yeah. for the most part. Um, I think a lot of the awkwardness that I felt with the kids was down to some really clunky lines, like clunky mm. stuff about character development. I appreciate that they put a lot of work into the character development, but I think it worked better with some than others. Yeah. I, um, yeah. Things, but there are things like things like a stutter are really easy to write in a book mm. as uh, as something that's an impediment, but it's hard to do in a movie and yeah. be convincing. Especially and, when you're only 12 or whatever he is. Yeah. 
so like he had when he had his big you know uniting the group moments he was pretty good mm. but when he whenever he had to speak it just felt a little stilted and yeah. not real no i understand um that was a bit frustrating. Um, the kid who played Ben had these like really lovely moments and then really terrible moments. Mm. And I felt the same thing um, with a couple of the other kids, the kids who played Eddie, who you liked. I warmed up to later more. Mm. I thought at the beginning he was a bit stilted. Yep. I and, thought and Finn Wolfhard, I got, got who, a full disclosure here. I think I like him because he reminds me of my little brother at that age. And but other people said they yeah. like him. I definitely liked him more later. Yeah. Like he kind of, when he got into the emotions of it and scary stuff, rather than just being mm. like a one note character, he got yep. a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. So he's I also the super anxious one. So obviously yeah. I related. Finn Wolfhard, who was from Stranger Things, was good. He played Richie Tojo, which is the role that Seth Green played in the miniseries, which mm. is, of course, why I yeah. saw the which miniseries the, when I was younger. Yeah. And he's the one who's always talking and he's got the crazy big glasses. Yeah. And, he did and he's making job. all the terrible sex jokes. He does make all the terrible sex jokes, but like there's something because nobody else laughs at them. Oh, they become funny. Well, yeah, it, it is. It's you're it, kind of laughing at him more yeah. than like at the jokes. No, no, it, I yeah, it did work. It was it was interesting how well that worked mm. because it is that kind of like you are making you are laughing at the character, but also there's sympathy growing for the character, mm. even though you're laughing at him and not his bad jokes. Yeah, yeah, it's quite interesting. Yep, and he does that well. And <sighs> there's. A lot to get into, but <laughs> sorry, I, I'm just looking at Finn Wolfhard's um, IMDb, and he must have written his own bio. It's or his so, mum did. I don't know, but it's pretty funny. Finn Wolfhard was born in Vancouver, Canada, where he's a student in the eighth grade. Finn has always had a laser focus on continuously growing as an actor, all the way back from the time that he saw his first movie. Thank you, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man! Exclamation point. During the moments Finn is not on set in school, memorizing lines or jamming with friends, he spends his time hanging out with his awesome family and pets. I, don't know. Um, I thought that was adorable. He, um, so yeah, he's on Stranger Things, mm. which I think we have to talk about a bit, even though you have again haven't seen Stranger Things. Stranger Things is really like a mashup of a lot of the stuff that's from the eighties. Mm, yeah, so it was clearly influenced by the original It, as long as well as a lot of other stuff, including probably the original Stand by Me, yeah. which is also based on a short. Stephen King's story has a lot of similarities with this. Mm. And then this kind of, it kind of harks back to Stand By Me quite a bit. Yeah. But I swear if the people who made it didn't watch Stranger Things and go, oh, we should do some of this, I'd be very surprised. They had to. I mean, that's why they cast. I mean, they would have been casting from the same pool, basically. And they they were, clearly. Um, But it's not just casting. There's a lot of stuff that's like really kind of the the way that there's like a big creepy thing and then you know regular st- everyday life that is not something that i've really seen in a lot of horror movies mm. it's a really kind of like there's a lot of mood whiplash in this movie yeah it, it swings around a lot yeah although um, that, it, in that sense it, it feels like it belongs in the stephen king canon because he that's what he yeah. does he does well like mixing that everyday life and horror all together and of course the other the movie that i have seen that make this obviously brings to mind which is also another homage to the 80s is um jj abrams super 8 mm. from about 10 years ago now um which is very much in that that same sort of vein um with one the, girl yeah with one girl uh, but it's more influenced by spielberg at and, least stand by me had no girls um <laughs> It, yeah, I mean, it's more influenced by Spielberg and you know, Close Encounters and the the alien type stuff than the yeah. than Stephen King, who who tends to look for more of into the well monstrous that it exists. I mean, in, in canonically, it is extraterrestrial mm. and immortal. 
Well, yeah, um, I mean, it's, a lot it's of clearly his books some kind do of end up with monster. extraterrestrial monsters. Actually, is, a lot it of it is aliens. a monster. There's there's definitely a big crossover between King and Spielberg, and but it's also like period based. These are yeah. the guys who grew up with monster movies as kids, and then they had their movie cameras and they made stuff as teen as yeah. like young teenagers and stuff. And yeah, they're all around started telling stories now. around that age and stuff. You yeah. know, th- it's really kind of it, it's just white boys telling their stories. Yeah, it is. White, uh, middle-aged white guys telling stories telling, when they were white boys. Yep. And you can feel that kind of influence in this a lot. Yeah, which is why I feel like Paul Beverly gets such a tough The thing about Beverly is that gig. There is there are significant changes from even the book. Oh. The book is really famous for having a particularly weird scene at the end of the sewers that you obviously haven't heard about, which is where Beverly has sex with all of the guys. What? At 13. What yeah. the fuck? Um, so, rather famously, Stephen King did a lot of drugs in the 80s. All <laughs> um, uh, right. Yeah. Like a lot of drugs in the 80s. And that's when he wrote and that. Some yeah. of that stuff, some of that comes through positively, um, you know, in like the creepy imagery and all that mm. sort of stuff, which was definitely drug influenced. But some of it comes, you know, you end up with weird things like Beverly having sex with everybody, um, which is such a weird scene, which thankfully yeah. was cut. Yeah, thankfully this. they did cut that and but they made she, the reputation thing. Uh, the lie that it was well yeah but it, that was not in the reputation thing wasn't part of the book which right. makes it anyway right okay um so yeah the, and also the the stuff about her dad abusing her was a lot more background and subtle and like mm. unspoken yeah um but uh she also is not a damsel in distress in the book and she is in the movie oh yeah big time. she gets kidnapped by um pennywise mm. for no good reason i mean it, it's she's the only one who's brave enough to actually do something apart yeah. from bill who's not so much brave as just you know grieving and sad yeah well, and and uh, facing this is what is less worse than not facing this yeah exactly for him, which was the, uh, yeah which is why this was interesting um yeah, that character stuff is really interesting. And mm. the Billy and Georgie relationship is so strong, even though we only see Georgie a little bit. Mm. Um, that works really well. I also thought the first opening scene worked a lot better when we saw it in one big chunk. Yes. Instead of being broken up by that woman who sees. And I know why they do that plot-wise, but, like, it, I don't think it was that necessary. It, it looks, it's, it's a lot better without her. It wouldn't have had – it didn't add anything it, mm. to it. Like, the fact that she saw it, it adds nothing well, it to the does, story. It never then, comes back. No, or it the does, cat comes then back. then they know where he went missing. Otherwise, we wouldn't know where he went missing mm-hmm. because we don't find yeah, the body true. in this one where they do in the book. Yep. So they need to have something. But, like, it would have been better, I think, as one. Like, if she'd just seen him go up to it and then we got completely just the whole Pennywise mm-hmm. and Which, Georgie yeah, scene. We had it edited it's so together like that building. in a trailer for what? We we actually had saw a trailer that wasn't really a trailer that was introduced by Stephen King last time we went to the movies and yeah, it was just all that edited together in one go and that was really good. It, it is really, really good. It's one of the best things. And it's you know, a really memorable scene from the book as well and the miniseries and mm, everything mm. that's, like, all. But, like, they they really don't cut – like, I expected them to cut away and, and Georgie to just go miss Georgie to just go missing. But, no, he gets his arm, like, bitten off by Pennywise yeah, right quite there. violently. <laughs> it's like, wow, okay, we're doing violence against six-year-olds immediately. Yeah. Um, so, quite yeah. confronting. It is. I mean, it's, it doesn't hold back on anything. Mm-mm. Um. But I guess that also does build the – I mean, you genuinely have suspense because you genuinely think anyone can die. And we also see a couple of other kids die. Mm. Um, Patrick, who I think is a serial killer in the book. Mm. Um, he's clearly evil. <laughs> he uh, He's one of the bully gang. Yeah, and he like dies. the older boys who are bullying them. Yeah. Man, that kid was the biggest overactor in the movie. <laughs> he was – 
kind of scenes, like just overacting his life. He was like, "I'm in three scenes in this movie. I'm going to make the make most, the most of, of, that. of them." <laughs> he was really Aww. going for it. Yeah, it's. Uh, I don't know. There's. There, I just feel like there's a lot mm. going on. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the the way that they treat and also the love triangle triangle, I'm pretty sure is not in the book. I don't oh, remember it. Of anyway, course, from it's not. the book or the miniseries. I, 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 um, Ben's role is a lot less in that because Beverly they give a lot of Mike stuff to the, Ben. Yeah, the Beverly and Ben was really sweet. I thought that was a really sweet relationship, and I'm kind. Mm. I was actually annoyed at the end when she uh, when Bill kisses her. I was too because that was not just because of like the triangle thing, but also because. Um, it really reeked of like, oh, you won here, you get the girl yeah, as a prize kind precisely of thing. Precisely why I was annoyed was, by it. Whereas, at least in the other storyline, Beverly had some like, yep, agency and choice. Right. Although Ben kisses her when she's unconscious, so true that too to true. try and bring her back. Like and it's true and love's he, kiss or something. Yeah, nonsense. that's right, and he and does. It does work for some reason, which is stupid because it's clearly it's a true love kiss, and like I just. It's nice to see people do something different, and if and I don't want to talk about women as prizes, but also if you're going to do women as prize, let the fat kid win the woman as prize. <laughs> like it's no one's ever done that before. Yeah, it was weird, and like the, that fat kid trope is in every '80s movie as well. Like you've got this yeah, yeah, one yeah, and then you've got Chunk in the Goonies, and you've got in Stand by Me Jerry O'Connell's character. Mm. That was really awkward and strange. And I yeah. didn't like and, and every interaction she had in the group was with those two. So you're like, how is anybody else gonna get to know her or care about her <laughs> when she only ever interacts with the two guys who were fawning over her? Mm-hmm. Um the new kids on the block stuff was cute. I that was that. Oh, well, it was almost like there were too many kids in the group. Oh, yeah, it, by the end you're about seven. I know why I, I can see because it gives you a lot of opportunity for different fears to come to light and yeah. like all that sort of stuff. It works better in a book, obviously. Mm. But like there's kids like Stanley could have just not been there. Yeah, that's right. You could have cut him and you still would have had enough fears and to go around. And his fear was really just there so that they could show off cool makeup effects. Mm, mm. That was not like, that was pointless. The leper was a lot more effective that Eddie was scared of. Yeah, that um, was a good one. That was, that. yeah, so that, you know. Actually, was the, I, the non-clown scary bits were great because they actually scared me because I was expecting the clown. The clowns you know about, but when you get the leper or the mummy or whatever, or the scary woman, the the painting woman that does, yeah. I think she does go the after. Flute. Yeah. She, oh, yeah. Does she go after Stanley or does yeah, she go after the, yeah. Stanley's one? Right. They could have used her on somebody else, but she was real. That was really scary when but she, she like came I said, to life. I think she was just there to like show off cool painting effects. Yeah. I mean, cool makeup effects because – also, there's no reason for him to be scared of. No. Like, it's just a painting on the no, wall. It doesn't uh, have any emotional impact for him. Eddie's thing has emotional impact yeah. for him because he's got all these, like, hypochondriac things from his mother. Mm. So, for him to be scared of a leper make, is, is Makes story. perfect sense. Um, Georgie being scared. That stuff with Georgie in the basement was so good. Mm. Um, that kid was killing it, too. Yeah. Like, wow, that's he was so really scary good. in that scene. The that, little six-year-old or five-year-old. That little boy. And he his must be very small, too. Mm. And he killed it. Jackson so Robert Scott is his name. Um, he was so scary. And he went mm. from like really cute and, you know, lovable to scary really quickly. Mm. He did great. <laughs> Bill Skarsgård's giving him lessons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I think Pen- sticking as Pennywise, like in the finale in the book as well, he turns into a big spider thing. Right. Um, but uh, I think sticking as Pennywise was a lot more effective. Mm-hmm. Um, for one thing, he has like it's all it's so much performance based, and he does such a good performance, so yeah. it works really well. Um, when he's got um Billy, you kind of you're scared for Billy. Mm. Um, and he's so he even when he's cornered, he's still kind of scary. He's just really effective. Mm. So yeah, 
Um, I liked the stuff with Richie going missing too. This, his view mm. of himself going missing yeah. is really good. Yeah, um, well, because I that like speaks the more psychological his, based. Yeah, fears. that's right. What well, speaks to his constant need to be bragging and talking and getting attention? It is a gift. <laughs> but um, he, well, we never see his parents, so mm. it's interesting that he's so worried about going missing. I mean, we only see everybody in the in the group has like one parent. Yeah, nobody has or one two grandparent. And, <laughs> um, and it's only um, oh, little hypochondriac's mother. Um, Eddie's mother. Eddie's mother is the only one who's actually like shows she, she's pretty terrible too, but at least she gets medical attention for her son. Nobody gets proper medical attention for Ben. Firstly, someone yeah, carves. Ben had parents. Carves, first, someone carves an initial into his stomach and then he gets like stabbed in the side and there's no consequence, no one seeking medical attention. No, so But he's fine. And so. he's got a broken arm. So they take him to his mother and he, she takes him to hospital. Perfectly, that's what you would do. But they don't take him to his parents. He's bleeding out the side of himself. What? It's very weird. It's very but strange. It's because there's no parents. There's no, no good parents in this town. No, and, and, and the we ones find that, out that do the exist cop, are terrible people. Yeah, we find out that the cop is is the major bully's abusive father. So yeah, you know, yeah, which he's probably like, the only cop in town. Probably, but also like there is an interesting story there about you know hurt people hurt people. About, there is, but, but at the same time, the ever, fact that every parent in the town is. No, every and not just every parent, every adult. In yeah, the, the like, pharmacist a, is creepy. There's also, there's also a bit where Ben's on the side of the road being beaten up by the bullies, and this these people just drive Eddie's past. mother drives past. Was that it? I didn't think it was Eddie's mother. Oh. I think it was just another woman who looked like her. Oh, okay. There, this couple in the car. They all the look the same. Balloon in the back. They just drive past. But the, um, I think the, though, the librarian car, is terrible. Yeah, but I think though that car w- with the balloon in the back is meant to show. What you only found out by looking up later is that the curse on the town makes all the adults evil. I thought maybe they weren't so really there. Yeah, that's possible. And they were just – it was just like Pennywise scaring. Yeah, it would, or children imagining the worst reactions. See, I don't know if Pennywise can manifest a car. I don't know what Pennywise's full abilities are. No. I'd be interested to know. Cause like, but he probably can manifest a curse, though, on people who yes. would drive around in a car. And he can manifest the balloon in the back, but I don't know if he can but manifest he, the whole car. But he also clearly manifests – Something that only the kids can see, and not that yes. like he, he manifests in such a way that the parents well, that's aren't because, seeing it. See in in the book that it goes into this a bit more, where it's like because parents are too worried about their adult responsibilities and mm. things, and kids have more imagination and yeah, and are freer to sort of imagine these things and see these things, which is also why kids get scared of things that adults are like, oh, it's not really there. You know, yeah. like the monster in the cupboard or under the bed or whatever, mm. um, is because kids have more imagination. And, and adults, this, it's kind of like you don't have the energy to be scared of stuff like that. There's too many real scary things as an adult. But it's not just that; it's like we use our logic and all that sort of stuff to right, yes. understand that it's not that; it's something else and stuff like mm. that. Um, whereas ho- horror kind of feeds off your fears, and a lot of that is like the childish things, mm. which is why it works so well. Yeah. And why it's such a classic is because everybody can relate to this. Yeah, that's right. Everybody can relate to this. It's very relatable. And yeah, the, if you've got a fear, it'll one of them is going is going to cover you. You're going to be covered somehow. Yeah, and I appreciate that they took the time to let get us acquainted with the kids and stuff because it means that we care about them when things happen to them. Mm. Whereas, like the main ones, I wish they hadn't. Kind of, I, I really there's a lot of sexism, but there's also some racism. Yeah, this. but there's like in the in the book, there's overt racism towards Mike. Yeah, yeah. Um, and a lot of Mike's, like, storyline was taken away and given to Ben in this. And mm. then there's not any overt racism towards Mike, even from the bully, which is a bit crazy. Mm-hmm. 
And a lot of the things are really, really nasty that are said to Mike in the book, but it's mostly from the bully's perspective. Mm. And we don't get any of that. And it, it's almost like the covert racism towards him where he doesn't get as much to do and we don't see, you know, his storyline as yep. much is kind of worse. Because if, if people were being racist towards him, we would feel for him like we mm. do for Ben when people Whereas are he, being fat phobic towards him. Yeah, and he just – there's no – uh, he, it makes him sort of superfluous. It doesn't give us a distinct thing about him. Well, he's different. also a historian in the book, and then he becomes the librarian. Right. And he's kind of like a narrator for the book, so right. he's, he's really got a reduced role in this. Which is a shame because I think that kid could have done something mm. with the role if he'd been given something to do. Yeah, chosen um, Jacobs, the actor. Yeah, and he doesn't really get much to do. Um, the little the girl who plays Beverly is great. Um, yes, yeah. It, despite the terribleness of the role a lot of And when she's not terrible, she's great. You know, she's tough and cool and, you know, she's not really, scared of anything. Um, she's really, like, got presence. She's really magnetic. Yeah. Um, she looks like a young Amy Adams and they even make a joke about her looking like Lois Lane at one point. They also make a joke about her looking like Molly Ringwald, who was immediately who I thought right. of. Molly Ringwald had that haircut in the 80s. Yeah. Um, um, she looks a lot like Molly Ringwald. Yeah, yeah. But also Amy she's Adams. Styled and she's styled a lot like Molly Ringwald. Yeah, she is styled like Molly Ringwald. But – She's just, like, you want to watch her. Yeah. I know that they – I mean, I understand why they updated this to the 80s, but I feel like they could have done a lot less 80s with it. Yeah. It felt a little on the nose, the soundtrack and all that mm. sort of stuff was just – and it, I felt the same thing when I saw Stranger Things, to be fair, that, like, you, it's just too much. I, it's because the people making these are, like, because Nostalgic. it's – Yeah, it's nostalgia and because it's those childhood things – they're bigger in their imagination than they actually were at the time for people who were actually living through it. Uh, and even for them when they were actually living through it, it's just grown into mythic proportions in their heads afterwards. Yeah. Um, and I understand why they updated it as well because obviously Stephen King was looking back to the 50s as his own childhood. But also because there's a contemporary section in the book. And I'm assuming that part of the reason why they changed it to the 80s was so that the contemporary section would stay contemporary. Yes. and it's, Instead of having it set in the 80s and 50s, yeah. it would be set now in the 80s. Right. And that is another thing I didn't know, that there was actually an adult part of yeah. it that we're coming back to and will be set presumably in 2015 um, and we will be the chapter two to this one. No, 2016 because this would be 27 yeah. years after 1989. So that, that, um, that makes sense and I think it will be – I'll be interested to see that actually because I know – I mean – you think I knew nothing about this one? I know nothing about the adult section of when they've grown up and it's 27 years later and well, Pennywise is back. Well, I think it could back. be really interesting if they go for like a fear of parent like anxieties. Go Fe- for- yeah, like fear of your child dying yeah, and all that exactly. sort of stuff. Because I, I'm pretty sure, <laughs> again, I read the book when I was a teenager, by the way. This is like a long time ago for me. But I'm pretty sure that, that a couple of the kids who are menaced are their own kids like there's still some yeah. people in Derry and their kids are being scared and menaced and then Mike brings them all back as the librarian in the town mm. so we'll see if he gets anything so presumably the they'll like bend out that yeah yeah I, I, I find it really frustrating when they do things like that um, yeah. you already have like a reduced role for Mike anyway as the only black kid like mm. give him something else to do man yeah. and he comes in so late as well as one of the gang it felt it reminded me of um Ghostbusters yeah and make it intersectional as well make it that part of what he's got to deal with is the racism that the others don't have to deal with because um, Ben has to deal with being being fat as part of the fears and stuff, yeah. and also um, Beverly has to deal with and the being bullies. a girl as part of a part of how she's bullied differently because she's a girl, and so that would make perfect sense. The boys don't really go after Beverly, do they? The bullies. No, no, but her um, she has fear her has a sexual bully. component to it, though. Well, yeah, but that, I mean, the sexualization of Beverly is like everything about her is gendered. 
mm-hmm. and there's nothing about the boys that is gendered. And it's frustrating as hell. Mm. Or there are, like, but it's nowhere near to the same extent. And it'd be great if they had, like, two female characters or something. Because it really does feel like the girl, the fat kid, the black kid, and the four defaults. That's it. Well, no, there's a Jewish kid. Oh, yeah, right. There's a Jewish kid. That's right. He has to do a bar mitzvah. Yes. And he's reading from the Torah. Jewish kids. Because the other Jewish kid is in the audience for the bar mitzvah. So Bochy, Richie, yeah, is Richie? Well, the, the, I just assumed he his storyline's not about being Jewish. No, but he, I think he, they only showed him in the audience because they were all going to go. Right. Remember, they talked about it at the beginning of the movie. Right. So okay. like all the and friends so were going to up. go, but only he showed up because they had this big falling out. Radio, yeah. But it really does feel like that. It's just like well, not all because it was only the three of them, I think, in the beginning, right? Or four? No, the four of them. And Eddie can't see them anymore because his mum forbids him because he's broken his arm. And then um, Billy won't what go because he about? had. In the beginning of the movie, there's four of them that are friends. Yes. It's Eddie, Billy, Stanley, the Jewish kid, and Richie. Yes. And then... So Eddie's pulled out by his mum because he breaks his arm. Yeah. Billy won't see them because he got in the fight with Richie. Right. So then only Richie goes to Stanley's. Righty. I, I, just, to... I, I just don't remember them talking about I mean, I, I remember them talking about the bar mitzvah. I don't remember them talking about going. I just yeah, remember them he's, talking they're, about, they're, you know, cutting dicks off and stuff. That when they're going through the um thing, they're like, what happens at this? That's why they're asking what happens. Right. Because, because they're, they're going to go, go and they're like scared of seeing right. his dick cut off. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and that's before they've met Ben who they – come across because they end up rescuing him and, and then, then they, they rescue Mike as well. Yeah, and then um Beverly rescues them and then yeah, yeah that's how it, the gang so, comes yeah. together. It's um yeah. I like the I do uh, and the scary stuff is so it's so effective and so mm. scary, but yes. it's so 0 to 100 real yeah. fast. <laughs> like you'll be in a perfectly normal scene and then the next scene is like bonkers crazy scary. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean it didn't I don't know. I sort of thought that was part of the way they were trying to balance the movie. Yeah. It didn't feel weird to me um, that it was balanced that way. And I was I think knew it did just because be I mean, I'm really used to horror movies and it's a little less. And it's so a little less. It's a little less whiplashy usually. Yeah, okay. Because it is like broad daylight, like happy, fun times. Oh, yeah. And like that. And the town itself, once it, when it's sunny, it's like it's a real classic backlot town. Like you can see it's shot on a backlot. Oh, yeah, they got a lot of use out of that one alleyway. Yeah, and that cinema with the um, with the different movies that were showing yeah, Batman yeah. and Lethal Weapon and then um, Nightmare on Elm Street 5. But then that is um, also in Stranger Things, like the the cinema thing, and they use that as a plot point mm. in Stranger Things. And I don't think it's just in – like I think that, that also harkens back to – It does, but it's really interesting how – and, and I know that Stranger Things kind of took a lot of this stuff from the 80s movies because when I was watching Stranger Things, I was like, oh, I've seen all this before. Mm. Um, but it's interesting how much. And then I, I, it really came home because in the credits that said Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. And I don't remember that being a plot point in this. No. But in Stranger Things, they play Dungeons and Dragons. That's how they're friends is that they're a Dungeons and Dragons group. Right. That plays that. And yeah. it comes up against monsters and that's what they end up calling. They use a name from Dungeons and Dragons uh, for the big monster in it. Okay. That makes sense. But there is a, a scene early on where... And they're like nerds and outcasts. Yeah. Oh, I, well, I You've think- got to set nerds and outcasts movies in the 80s as well because um, now nerds aren't outcasts. No, correct. Th- um, no, I think the Dungeons and Dragons references, there's a, they open a cupboard of games at one point and you have like, there's like, you can see like Scrabble and other yeah, things Yeah, but they would have referenced all the other ones. Yeah, if- I, I don't know. Maybe Dungeons and Dragons has different licensing arrangements. I, I don't I I think that we just missed something. That Maybe, re- yeah. Specifically I, related I certainly to that. didn't. I don't know Dungeons and Dragons, so I didn't spot any references. But- I play Dungeons and Dragons, so. But you didn't spot any references either. No, I didn't. And I'm wondering where it was. Is the th- But I, I just noticed it because 
that is a, a yeah strong connection to Stranger Things. Right. Um, as is the only girl syndrome, mm. um, which is an 80s thing as well. Yeah. But the only girl is really strong. I mean, I think Stranger Things definitely owes a lot to it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I think I think it's, it was such a cultural phenomenon in its day as well. Like even in the, in the 90s when it came out as a miniseries, it was such a huge thing. Mm. Um, I never watched it, but I know that my brother watched it at a sleepover and was terrified. And, of course, boys being boys and toxic masculinity being what it is, people made fun of him for being scared and, like, well, it's a scary movie. Of course you get scared. So I can, I definitely remember being in primary school and it being the cool thing to have watched it, among other scary movies. Yeah, when I was in high school, the big, the big scary movie that was going around because I was in Japan was Ring. Oh, yeah. Um, and everybody had seen it and everybody was talking well, about how she climbed yeah. out of the well and has, doesn't have fingernails and they were like, oh, you hope to see it. And then For you reasons supposed that to are... get scared. And that was when we were teenage girls in high school. So being like not scared of scary things is very much a kid thing. Yeah, that's right. And I was I was younger than that. This was like primary school, like, you know, fourth grade kind of thing, um, fourth, fifth grade. Like it suddenly it became cool to have seen various scary movies, yeah. um, you know, Chucky or whatever. I don't even know if people had actually seen these movies, but they did like they to talk about to. They, that they had. I hadn't. I remember being I, snuck But in, I was very sheltered. I remember being snuck into Scream 2 by my cousin because I was just too young for the 58, like 15 plus cut yeah, off yeah. MA. And we couldn't get my, – my other cousin who was a couple years younger than I couldn't than I was couldn't get in and our other cousin snuck us in to Scream 2, <laughs> which was the first horror movie I saw at the movies. Mm. And I'd already I'm sure I'd already seen Scream by that point. But I didn't see that. Well yeah, it was Scream movies. went Scream went viral before things went viral. It's interesting because Scream I think Scream set me up like I am pretty sure Scream was the first real horror movie that I saw. And because it's so meta. I think it was for me too, actually. But it's interesting. I think for me, because it's so meta, it taught me all the rules of horror movies before I started watching them. Yeah. So yep. this, I think that my relationship with horror movies, that, that I have like a really positive one and I don't tend to get scared of them very much, is because I learned all the rules so early. Mm. Like I think I saw Scream when I was like 13. Mm. And it just, and I hadn't seen any real horror movies before that. And I just sort of went, Oh, I completely understand what horror movies are. And I think Scream also kind of paved the way for a lot of my film appreciation and things. But, like, because I saw it so early, I I had that kind of inherent understanding of how horror movies are built. So I can appreciate them and be scared by them, but also, like, always be slightly removed from them. Yeah. Because I always had that kind of really clear understanding of what the rules were and things. I, and I've or only when learnt, they were breaking them. I've only learnt that old as I've been older, but I think, as I say, it's because I'm so anxious and yeah. I always have been that I don't want to add any more anxiety to my life that I don't need. Um, and I didn't, I sort of haven't, which I, is why until now I've often missed the point of these things. Yeah. I really enjoy, I mean, I like horror movies. I think mm. um, this one had a really good budget and was oh, had yeah. beautiful, you know, production yeah. values. Uh, and my understanding sort of is that the miniseries is not nearly as lushly it isn't, but Made. they did get a couple of good kids. The kids section is good still. Mm. Um, they got a couple of good actors in. They got Tim Curry. They had mm. Seth Green. Um, Jonathan Brandis played Billy, mm. um, who's maybe not one of the greatest actors ever, but, but he was he was cute and mm. people liked him and he was he was you know mm. good enough, um, and like famous of the year because this is in the early nineties. So yeah, yeah, I think it was just pre him being properly famous, but mm. I'm not sure. But yeah, he was. I mean, it had some strong stuff in the kids section. The adults mm. were all dreadful like you know 
TV miniseries actors. I'm really <laughs> curious to see who they cast as the actors for the second section of this movie yeah, yeah. and how they go about it. I think if they do tap into fears of being a parent, it could be really interesting, especially with the crowd that it gets. Yeah, yeah. Who saw the original when and they were kids. who are mostly parents now. Yeah. Or if they aren't parents, they are, their friends are. Mm. Um, and that's something that's around them a lot. So it could be really interesting if they go for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> John Ritter is grown-up Ben. That, yes. They, okay, so they're not all terrible, but they're no, no. mostly yeah, terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I forgot John Ritter was in it, actually. Probably because Ben doesn't have a lot to do. It's mm. that guy with the glasses that does a lot and a mole on his face or something, and he's right. terrible. He's terrible. <laughs> like, really dreadful mm-hmm. actor. I think he plays grown-up Billy. Right, yeah, that makes sense. Is it on there? Richard Thomas? Yeah, probably him. Does mm. he have glasses? Yeah, yeah, he does, he does. That's. I think that guy was um, – Yeah. He, oh, he's the neighbour in The Americans. I know who he is. Well, he was dreadful. Yeah. Like, painful to watch. The woman from Smallville was – from the Waltons. Who played the original God. Lana Lang. She was terrible. Mm. Um, it just – oh, it didn't work. They were really bad. Mm-hmm. Really awkward and, like, very kind of – 80s early 90s like line readings and oh bad hair and all that sort of stuff so yeah, yeah it didn't work so i'm i'm really curious to see the second one and see how it goes yeah i've talked a lot in this podcast no you, not especially uh, um i'm not sh- really sure I and mean, we're kind of running long which we always do anyway but um there's a lot to unpack in this two and a half hour movie yeah. i didn't actually feel like it was too long it, I, is it two and a half hours two hours and 15 minutes good grief i would not have picked that i i mean i looked at my watch a couple times early on but I think that was more like how soon am I going to be able to get out of this than anything but I stopped I was like this is a, oh this is a nice quick movie this is 90 it felt like 90 minutes I was like yeah they're gonna do a nice quick yeah one. they had a lot to cover but I think it's such a kind of easy comfortable world to sink into yeah you don't really have to, well that's and that's why they've chosen this world we know it it's we, we know, know it and they so well they establish all the they establish place really well. They establish mm. mood really well. They establish when and where and how this is all happening. Like I said when we were coming out of it, it's a fun horror. Yeah. Right? Like it's it's fun. You know, you yeah. get to um, have scary things and but also, you know, be tough works. and stand up to them. Yeah, and- that's right. You, you, you have a sense of control. You can face your fears and make them go away and everything will work out okay in the end. And there's like friends coming together and they all yeah. have like – Actual personalities and yeah, stuff and there's like that, that sort of that that time of your life that you never get back when you had endless summers where you could just wander around with your friends and explore and all that sort of thing. I never had any friends like I did when I was twelve years old. Jesus, did anybody? That's a Stand By Me quote. Yeah, <laughs> I love Stand By Me. A yeah, lot. well, that's right, and that's and that of course is oh, they what did a full Stand By Me ending too when they all fade out. When yeah. they're going, and I was like, "You can't get me with that." Because every time I watch Stand by Me, I nearly cry when River Phoenix fades out because he's the only one who does, or maybe the other two do. I don't remember, but I definitely no, he is the only one who does because the character dies later in the mm. book, and then like River Phoenix really died, and it always gets me. Yeah, it's so sad. Um, but I mean, that's what that's Chris Chambers. I, I remember mean, his character's name. Stephen King has basically spent his whole Gordy Lachance his whole career examining what it's like those endless summers going trying to get get that back like through writing about it like he spent a lot of time there are a few his boyhood there are a few and some of them are the most famous ones but i mean stuff like carrie and carrie's not about that at all no carrie's Um, about female adolescence yeah it is but it's so much better than the beverly one here Mm. you know it's so much more from like and it it is it feels very much like something that's from the perspective of a girl even though it isn't like he really put the effort into doing that well yeah and he he put the effort into actually working out what Um, female adolescence feels like which this just doesn't even come close to it puts on some of the 
uh, garb of female adolescence, like, you know, interpersonal bullying and periods and stuff, but it doesn't really understand those or really think about how she would actually feel experiencing that. Yeah, I mean, kind of. I think there's this kind of like through line that she's got better empathy because of being like an outcast and things. Mm, Yes. But like it just, it is really, it really doesn't delve into the experience of female adolescence and it's mm. it but it is something where i've seen people say oh he doesn't understand it at all but you look at carrie and it's clear that it's that's a mm. really I, and, good well and i think the problems with this are adaptation problems and not author like there are not, definitely not, some author issues he does not yeah the book is like that blood scene is oh and have, making her have sex with all the boys when she's 13 years old yes. yeah it's, he's yeah I, that i think was very much so obviously fueled. they're written in different eras which well, there was right this was written in 1986 or something right so much later than carrie yeah, it's weird. In, in the middle of his but drug also, phase. Yeah, in the middle of the drug phase. But, yeah, it's a, he's an interesting author. Like, I, I, yeah, well, I, I mean, have a lot of appreciation for Stephen King in that, like, all his visuals are really strong. Mm. Um, and he kind of does that everyday horror stuff. But also because I think he's somebody who learns as he gets older. Mm. Like, he will accept that he didn't do things well in the past and change them. Try to do um, better, yeah. And try to do better and appreciate that, like, things are different and learns and grows and stuff, which yeah. I think is something yeah. to appreciate. And he, he really does sort of dig into some of the messier parts of what it means to be human. And yeah. Like he, and he, yeah, you haven't read Dreamcatcher, I don't think. But. No, I haven't. <laughs> so, um, Dreamcatcher is basically about us aliens that burst out of your butt. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Yeah, well, but he, he sort of, like, yeah, he likes looking at people under pressure kind of thing. I'm just thinking of like The Green Mile, which you wouldn't is, – yeah. is not – is and is not Stephen King, you know, it's but it's about somebody at, the, you know, a point of significant stress and pressure in their life. And it, it's also – he also obviously likes to look into his some, monsters and, you know, things yeah. that are just beyond our, our vision or things that But he also that has are, some issues with like – We don't want know, to dig into. People with disabilities and all that sort of stuff. Yes. Anyway um, – there's, we could go into a whole Stephen yes. King thing as yep. a podcast, probably. No doubt. But uh, we won't do that. We should probably rate it and all I that sort of thing. I don't know what to rate. I, I mean, I'm I really having trouble enjoyed with this the experience well. of watching it. Mm. Um, but I am really irritated about the sexism. And it's the same sort of thing. I mean, Stranger Things was actually a little less sexist, but there's these things that really irritated me, like the only girl syndrome and all this sort of stuff that really kind of pisses me off and does mm. owe a lot to the 80s. Um, Do you want to go first this time? Sure, I'll go first. I'm actually going with three and a half because like you, I enjoyed the experience of watching it. But also like you, I got really pissed off at some of this stuff. Like it was so fact necessary that, too. Well, yeah, I don't mind making movies set in the 80s. I don't mind remaking older movies. I don't mind... That sort of thing. But if you are going to do that in this year of our Lord, 2017, for fuck's sake, think. Like, get someone. I think they were. I just don't think there's any women That's Yeah, no, get someone to, like, do a sensitivity read at least. How hard is that to find, like, get a woman to read it or something. Like, it takes, it'll, it doesn't take much. The fact that it's Beverly who gets damsels as well. Like, wouldn't <laughs> it, it have been? It does not take much. And they could have spent a week getting this done. Do you know what would have been great is if Billy had been kidnapped at the end of the movie and Beverly had to go around and gather everybody up to come back yeah. for him and stuff. Like, yeah. anything other than what happened. Yeah. Because just... Billy was the one that they all kind of turned their backs on who was, you know, sad about yeah. his brother. Do- I, I just, stuff. I feel like they've just done this without taking a breath. Or even thinking about it 
for anyway. five seconds. And that, that annoys me. So I'm giving it three and a half, even though I really did quite enjoy the experience of watching it and it looks great and it knows its genre and it knows what it's doing in terms of scaring people and, and making a movie that fits together well and is engaging. Okay, I think I'll give it four stars, partly to balance that, but also, yeah, I did have a lot of problems with the material, but um, I had a really good time watching it. Mm. I had a really good time watching it. You just kind of, everything else kind of goes away. You're not really thinking Mm. about the rest of the world. You're just thinking about being in the world of the movie. And that's, I think, partly to do with the fact that it is that kind of timeless story and it's so good, but also because it's... Um, it's really made well, and that's and the- I do appreciate the work that they put into sense of place mm. and sense of like the aesthetic was very even and clear. And I mm. said it was zero to one hundred really quick, but I didn't mind that. I didn't hate it. I just like you'd be calm and relaxed, and then your heart would be p- pounding out of your chest, and then you'd be calm again. But yeah, I I just had a good time watching it. I think mm. probably. is about right. So if I go four and you go 3.5, we'll be happy. Okay. Um, Yeah, I I was going to say something about what you said earlier, but I've sort of forgotten it. Oh, yeah, that the fact that you are dropped into this world and you're not thinking about anything else, that's how the catharsis works. Yeah. The fact that you put aside the worries of the world, your worries, your specific worries, and you focus on these ones is is the only way horror works properly, and it does that. And it's part of the reason that – So, I mean, it it just – it opens so strong. Yes. It opens so strong. That first scene with Billy and that pre-credits Georgie bit, yeah. is so, so strong, right? And it, it's so carefully crafted and so well put together. It focuses a lot on Bill Skarsgård, Skarsgård's performance. Mm. Like you don't expect it to go as dark as it does, but it really gives you a sense of what's coming um, and that anybody can be hurt and that this is going to be like there's real stakes. Yep. And I like all of those things. Mm. I always feel like the bullying in Stephen King stories is so extreme mm. that I don't think it happens as often in real life as it does no. here in his stories. Like, no. clearly he knew a real psychopath when he was a kid who was a bully. Because yeah. Kiefer Sutherland's character in Stand By Me. Yeah. Um, so I, I think the kids, yeah, I think the kids sold their connection pretty well as well. Mm. Yes. Especially, I just do, I really do think Finn Wolfhard was kind of like a strong part of this because he. He was the one, I think, more than anybody that made it seem like they'd been friends forever mm. um, and that they all knew each other and stuff. I know it's kind of a showy role, but, yeah, but he was also lo- the he most. He carries a lot of the emotional kind of burden of holding the group together more but, than anybody else. And he was also the most typical 12-year-old boy kind of thing, mm. like the attention-seeking and the acting like he's older than he is even though he isn't and the trying to um, – that that sort of yeah, striving like to a more prove yourself and that, that cusp – of between childhood and adulthood that they can't they think they're so grown up mm. and they can't see it that there's a lot built into that role and that performance yeah and it's almost kind of a more nuanced thing than what like for instance Billy or Eddie is doing cuz yeah. Eddie is really pretty one note up until I think he starts getting properly scared instead of fake scared. And, well, and Billy, having been so recently bereaved of his little brother, has been forced into adulthood earlier mm. and so he's like he's moved past that stage a lot quicker and so you kind of and he's in a different space so you you but he's also he again is kind of one note like his whole story is oh my brother died yep although he gets a bit of leadership stuff but the leadership stuff i think in this movie like the fight that he has with richie that doesn't happen in the book Mm -hmm. um is this interesting 
I thought I actually thought that was really good. I think that worked well. It's something that's kind of necessary for that point in the story mm. for them to all, you know, go their separate ways. Yeah, yeah. But also because it gave him more to do emotionally than just always be sad. Yeah. And then that kind of takes off, especially their friendship kind of takes off at that point mm. when they get angry with each other and punch each other and then have to come back together. Yes. Um, the cat has just told us that we've run long enough, so I might wrap up. Um, thank you very much for listening to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Uh, we hope you enjoyed me sitting through a horror movie for you. Um, if you'd like to find old episodes or a show notes, they're on our website, silverscreenqueens.com. If you want to read Katie's review of it or of some of the other movies that she watches, check out her blog, silverscreenqueen.wordpress.com. And if you want to find us on social media, we are at screen underscore queens on Twitter facebook.com forward slash silverscreenqueens and tumblr.silverscreenqueens.com I always get that wrong. Me too. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.